Welcome to the first Bushwick Book Club podcast. You'll be hearing songs and interviews of songwriters who contributed to our first show of the year. The songs are all recorded live from that first show of 2017 at Barbez in Park Slope, Brooklyn, which, if you haven't been there, is an unassuming little spot to hear the best local and touring musicians in the area because it's built over an ancient American Indian party ground. That's my theory anyway. This is the first Bushwick Book Club podcast, and it's of the first book of 2017. We always do Vonnegut in January. This year's Vonnegut choice was Man Without a Country. Charlie's here. And we're with Deb and Jason. Deb and Jason in Park Slope, Brooklyn. Howdy, y'all. You're kind of like the official Bushwick Book Club mixologists. Just call on us anytime you need a theme drink. I'm really impressed because you made 12 different cocktails for each of the 12 chapters of the book. That's, uh, you know, that's really thorough. Plus one bonus for the afterward. And Vonnegut himself was not an alcoholic, but he knew many. And sometimes he featured alcoholics in his books. But honestly, like reading his books, sometimes, wow, the point of view is so bleak that it makes you, you know, it could drive you to drink or, you know, kill yourself or something. But... I had a few drinks reading this one. You did? <laughs> I had a couple suicidal thoughts. Yay, more songs about books. All right, okay. Nothing like a little Vonnegut um, to get you started with the year. Yeah. Okay. Well, speaking of getting started, what's our first cocktail? Chapter one, bird poop. So the setup for this is uh, Joe Key mentions, what's the white stuff in bird poop? What is it? That's bird poop, too. <laughs> so uh, in celebration of that, we're going to try to make a delicious cocktail that looks like bird poop and hopefully uh, tastes even better. I better get the cream. Yeah, the basic idea is uh, we're doing a riff on a Brandy Alexander, which is one of those old-fashioned cocktails that no one drinks anymore because because uh, no one likes cream in their drinks anymore. But it's a delicious thing, and uh, we're going to... We're gonna dig it. Don't people don't people um still drink white rations? I think they do. Yeah, because of the Big Lebowski. So Jason's mixing up brandy, Alexander, uh, creme de cacao, cream, and brandy. Mm-hmm. So here's That's a pretty. brandy Alexander. The the crowning touch to brandy Alexander is always nutmeg, and we have some wow. fresh nutmeg here. It's so pretty. It is quite pretty. It looks kind of like bird poop. If that fell in my hair, you know, I, <laughs> I don't think I'd mind at all. Wow. What do you think? That's really strong. <laughs> <laughs> Total catastrophes are terribly amusing. Any subject is subject to laughter. All those fossil fuels that we're lo- using isn't losing if it's comedy that you're after. Do you know what a twerp is? 65 years ago he bit off buttons and taxis with his butt. A snark was a guy who sniffed the seats of girls' bikes. All true. What is the white stuff in bird poop? Don't worry. Don't worry, it's bird poop too. Crazy making games. Old ones like love and hate. New ones 
like automobiles and credit card rates. Why don't you tell the truth for a change? Like there were never any good old days. And don't, don't look at me. I just got here anyways. It's a classic girl drink. Okay, so the next one is the twerp. The twerp was a guy who would put teeth in the back of a a taxi cab. Is that right? Yep. And the other kind of person was someone who would sniff those seats of girls' bikes. Right. Twerp and snarf. 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 Yeah. 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 So yeah, twerp uh, uses a set of false teeth in his ass to bite the buttons off of the back seat of taxi cab. They must be really good buttons. I don't know. We're going to start with the Rusty Nail classic drink, Scotch and Drambuie. What is Drambuie? Scotch liqueur. It's a Scotch and honey liqueur. Oh, oh my God. Scotch with more Scotch. Yes. Well, no, no. Yeah. Sweet. That evokes the sticky leather of the vintage taxi's backseat. Nice. And then we're going to add a splash of unicum for a deep, 
sphinctery earthiness. Ooh, what's unicum? That has a sphinctery earthy name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> unicum is a Hungarian herbal liqueur, kind of like a bitters, but as the name implies, it's a unique flavor. Mm. A lot of people say it tastes like dirt. And then we uh, garnish it with teeth, with of teeth. course. Yeah. So during your college years, you drank like a grandfather. Who knows Gordon Lightfoot and Sundown? Well, no, you need to know. It's not that song. But, yeah, there's something here. She and her husband Try and attract bluebirds I hear all about it Whenever I have new words to send Carol's my typist She lives upstate in Woodstock We chat for hours Oh how I'd miss
enjoyed it, and I don't even like scotch. See, it's what? so good, it defies the genre. Mm. And that's how you know it's really good. I feel that way about Mandy Penticken. <laughs> you know, like I hate Broadway singing, but I love some Mandy Penticken. Do you think two? he looks like me? I think I should do two. No. 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 Okay. I like you, but I like you separately, not because you look like Mandy Penticken. Someone to Mandy Penticken is a really good looking guy, honestly, I think. Yeah. I come on. Anigo like Montoya, you killed my father. You know, come on. That's really appealing. Ah, in the day. I think, though, this person was talking about like the now? Homeland. 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 Oh. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he's still uh, appealing. I'm sorry. Oh, no. I, I like him plenty. He's singing. He's weird, though. I've never heard him sing. I freaking I still I love, you, you love it. You love his singing? I love it. I love his singing. I love his performing. I love it. I think he's just, he's on fire. It's amazing. The name of this drink is the Unfiltered Palmol. I don't know if you guys remember that chapter. This is the chapter where he talks about uh, how he's not an alcoholic. But he is an but addict. He, but he is uh, doomed to, to die at the hands of a cigarette. That's the subject that Terry Radigan wrote yes, about with exactly. her song. Right. Yeah. Because it's one part tobacco-infused simple syrup and two-part scotch. Okay. And it's served <laughs> over frozen pieces of coal. But it's also the fossil fuel thing, which he no, said right. America has a huge addiction you to. You really tie it all in. Yeah. We tried. We tried. Yeah, 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 the cocktail has to tell the whole story. It's not as easy <laughs> as writing, but... <laughs> talking about his addiction to cigarettes? Yes. He'd be fun to kind of sit on a stoop with, I mean, stoop to have a cigarette <laughs> with. Songs are made up when you really feel like you're not bound by any truth reporting and you can just go to town. It's mm-hmm. really fun. So I loved it. I felt like I was on 
a treasure hunt waiting for those phrases that were going to pop out to me. It's always fun to play your songs for an audience, but to play your yeah. songs for fellow songwriters. That's a really who, great part of the, of the book club. Oh, it's, it's, it's fantastic. This, it's called The German Horse, and it's an interpretation of Vonnegut's upper middle-class family emigrating in a Trojan horse style hidden among the poor laborers. Instructions. Wake up in Dortmund, that's sort of the area where his family was from in Germany. Walk outside, find and rinse out an empty flask-sized bottle of Jägermeister, fill it with a fine German brandy, maybe eight-year-old Asbach or Alt, and smuggle to America. And, you know, consume it while you're uh, <laughs> building your own brewery <laughs> or buying someone else's brewery. It's kind I of a performance it's, piece. Yeah, no, it's a concept cocktail. Like Abramovich would do something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Drunks have seen pink elephants Chapter 7, Vonnegut is talking about uh, the perils of warfare, as he often is, and uh, he made a uh, quote from Abraham Lincoln, who was skeptical of the motives of President James K. Polk, and who said the following, trusting to escape scrutiny by fixing the public gaze on the exceeding brightness of military glory, that attractive rainbow that rises in showers of blood, that serpent's eye that charms to destroy, mm. he plunged into war. Uh, they're talking about the mm. Mexican-American War. It's a bloody bit of history that was uh, completely 
avoidable and uh, a pretty sad part of uh, American history. Totally there. unnecessary, and Lincoln called it. At the mm-hmm. time, he was a congressman. Anyway, the cocktail itself is right. scotch, orange juice, and maraschino. Yeah. Because we're trying to evoke the Mexican-American War, we have substituted with mezcal. We have put in lime juice uh, to make it kind of a, a margarita type of deal. So this is going to be shaken. shaken. And in the cocktail glass here. Okay, Serpent's Eye. Serpent's Eye. We are dancing animals with blood silk tap shoes. I can't even say if this is good or bad news.
Wash your hands after touching a corpse and before touching a, a woman giving birth. Might she might not die. Yeah. So, it is in honor of Semmelweis that we've put together this drink. So we decided to make a savory cocktail. Ooh. Kind of along the lines of a Bloody Mary. It's um, vodka and lemon juice and tomato juice. It's got paprika because Dr. Semmelweis Hungarian. was Hungarian. Yeah, of course. And we have Hungarian paprika. paprika. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And we also have kumo liqueur, which is the rye liqueur. And then we're going to shake and serve it in a tall glass with a dash of celery bitters. And we're going to garnish it with cilantro because do you know what? Like either you love cilantro or you hate cilantro. People who hate it. It tastes like soap. soap. They say it tastes like soap. Therefore, it must be in the drink about washing your hands with soap and water. The best you can do is hope that, you know, Hundreds of years after your death, that someone will make a uh, podcast with a cocktail in your name. And that's what we're doing today. <laughs> I guess people of Vonnegut's generation, they all cared so much about like, helping people and improving the world. Mm. One of the points he made in the book was that people don't really care about that anymore. And then there's those people who dismantle the EPA. It's a weird thing. Mm. Who doesn't want clean water and clean air? People don't really believe in that. They buy their own. If you look back, you realize that Reagan was more liberal than Barack Obama. (laughs) In some ways, let's not go crazy. All right, let me get a few ice cubes in there. What do you think? No. Uh, Who wants to try? I understand that it is important to hear the other side and let them know that they are heard. But fuck that. Fuck Trump, fuck everyone who voted for him, fuck Fox News, fuck the alt-right, the neo-Nazi racist sexist war machine, fuck them all. They don't listen to us, they don't give a fuck if we listen to them. They want what they want and that's all they give a fuck about, so fuck them. Fuck them all. Fuck process. Do you think they give a shit about process? Do you think that when they come back, when they come to fuck us, they will give a shit about process? So why the fuck should we care about how we engage with them? Fuck them, and fuck them, and fuck them again. It has been said that the ends don't justify the means. Fuck that. There are some ends that must be achieved, and if achieving those ends means using fucked up means, then that's what it fucking means. Because adherence to means when the ends are this fucking dire is morally reprehensible. Like preventing the country from fucking falling into fascism, for example. That's an end of paramount fucking importance. We're talking about oblivion, and you're gonna tell me to respect the process? Fuck the process, and fuck you. 16 years ago, we thought the last motherfucking Republican president-elect who also wasn't legitimately elected was gonna be a shit show, but he was a fucking bowl of chocolate fucking pudding compared to the shit show to come. It is time to be intolerant. It is necessary to be intolerant. It is a moral fucking imperative to be motherfucking intolerant. So when they go low, we tell them to go fuck themselves. When they say white people are being discriminated against, we give them laxatives and force feed their fucked up shit to them with a motherfucking funnel. When they say feminazis, we say, what are you talking about Nazis? Aren't you a motherfucking Holocaust denier? And then we cut their cocks off and bury them in quicksand. 
The cocks, I mean, we, we, we cut their cocks off. Metaphorically, I mean, maybe. I don't know. Let's make them believe we will bury their cocks in quicksand. Let's make them believe we will smash their fucking heads in with bricks. Let's make them believe we will burn the motherfucker down. Make them feel the fear we feel. Make them shit their fucking pants with fear. Don't let them sleep. Don't fucking let up. Keep their feet to the fire till their motherfucking feet fall off. Then watch them try to walk back to their fucked up America. Fuck them all. Fuck them up. Fuck them hard. Fuck them. John Asshole! Now let's talk to John Asshole! I love being in the bedroom here talking with you with microphones. Just like just like normal. Yeah. Like we always do. Like we always do. <laughs> do you feel more comfortable with a microphone in your hand than less? I feel more comfortable on the stage than in real life. I was thinking about how you write a poem, and but then it becomes a song. And I was wondering about your process working with musicians in that way. Yeah. Sometimes right. I write an out-and-out out song. Right. Sometimes I write something that's kind of free verse, and I have a melody in mind for it, or a melody for a chorus that could go behind the spoken part. And sometimes I have no idea at all, and... I uh, hope that they will come up with something that I feel works and that they feel works. So lots of different ways. Sort of sometimes depending on the piece and sometimes depending on my mood or what, how right. inspired I am musically. And then what was the process like when you were writing this particular one for this book? Well, at the time that the book was assigned, I was thinking about what I'd want to say about Trump having been elected. He hadn't taken office yet. I said to a friend of mine, Jane, that um, I had... I hope that we would finally start, you know, Democrats would finally get a spine and that people would get as intolerant as the situation called for, intolerant of intolerance, basically. And do you think that's happened? I'm I'm cautiously optimistic that people are wanting to fight in a way that I haven't seen uh, really in my lifetime except you know what i was you know i'm 56 so like i do remember a bit of the vietnam war protesting and right. remember how angry people were in the early 70s this this is kind of getting there and that makes me happy because i think it's necessary cool the big problem with democrats since 1980 at least has been the willingness to compromise with people who really are not interested in making the country better just interested in aggrandizing the wealthy you know and that started with reagan and continued with his vice president and then that vice president's son and now this guy with the vonnegut i read it through i think in in its entirety two times um and then i wrote it sort of not even looking at the book it was just mm -hmm. sort of the way his response to the W. Bush administration is very much like mine was, and it seemed very appropriate for this time now. There's a lot of different things in that book, but that's what I sort of noticed was there was a lot of stuff about the political situation of his time, which is similar to now, right. only only worse. Right. There's a a drink everyone knows, which is my sister's favorite drink, Long Island iced tea. The theory behind Long Island Iced Tea, okay, well, my sister's theory is it's a good deal because you get four drinks in one and you only pay for one drink 
and somehow it all evens out so you don't realize what a strong drink it is. So that also kind of fools you and you end up thinking that you're, uh, you're drinking something much less pernicious than it actually is. In chapter nine, which we're at now, Vonnegut discusses the PP, which is called uh, psychotic personality. So yeah, we decided to go with that, uh, something that seems somewhat innocuous, but is in fact uh, really powerfully pernicious. But uh, we decided to try to make it just a little bit worse. So uh, instead of uh, tequila, we decided to put in uh, peyote-infused tequila. We could not find any peyote. Shut up. No, it's, oh, okay. it's sad. <laughs> I, was I was like, oh my God, you guys. Wait, I'll tell you when I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Wait, I'll tell you when I'm kidding. I'm not kidding. But I'm not a twerp just because I haven't read all the books you've read And anyway, I'll probably read plenty of books you haven't read now that you're dead Wait, I'll tell you when I'm kidding I'm kidding, wait, I'll tell you when I'm kidding I'm is just a painkiller Sometimes a joke is just a conversation starter It takes a village I'm not kidding Go into the arts I'm kidding Catastrophes are funny I'm kidding, soldiers are all babies I'm not kidding Here's the truth, there's no tomorrow Here's the truth, there's no tomorrow Oh, here's the truth, there's no Casey Holford, uh, who is a singer-songwriter um, and has performed at several Busher Book Club events. Hey, Susan. How's it going? Hi. Was there anything distinct about playing this particular Vonnegut show? This one was autobiographical. You know, when you read a, an autobiographical thing by Vonnegut, you kind of realize that all of his other books are autobiographical, too. They're basically yeah. just him talking about himself all the time. It's more like Deep Thoughts by Kurt Vonnegut or something like that, this um, one. What was your songwriting process like? For the book club, I kind of forced myself to, you know, digest the book and chew it up and then spit it out in, in a songwriter form. I mean, I think... As I'm looking through it, I, I look for phrases in the book that I like, or I look for unifying themes that I like about the book. Um, when he's talking about 
thinks that he's kidding about or that he's not kidding about. I think that was uh, a thing that stuck with me, so I decided to make that the the refrain to my song. And then I took other parts of the book that I thought would fit into that idea of things being humorous or perhaps at the same time not humorous or like you can't always tell whether Kurt Vonnegut is is kidding or not. He's always kind of half serious and half joking, so I thought that was a good way to approach it. What's your favorite part of book club? I think my favorite part is the shows, just hearing what everybody else has done. That's definitely like the reward for me is that we all get to hang out and listen to this stuff. Yeah, if, me too. If it weren't fun, I wouldn't do it. Right. <laughs> I wouldn't have been doing it all this time. The number 10, chapter 10. Right, which is Sappy Woman. So uh, that chapter was the one where everyone was writing him letters and he was trying to answer her, right. their letters. Mm-hmm. And it starts with a sappy woman wrote to me about how can I bring a child into this world, right. this horrible, fucked up Sappy world. woman from Ypsilanti. Ypsilanti, right. So it, it's fun just because uh, you get you to get say, to say Ypsilanti. Ypsilanti. Yeah. yeah. But uh, <clears throat> this world was not created by God. It was created by Satan. So we're living So in- therefore, it's perhaps inadvisable to bring a child into this world because life is suffering and, and uh, it's a sad angle. But yeah. that's the angle we're playing. All right. He was talking about surveillance of resistors, and he talked about Abby Hoffman's practical joke, which was claiming that sticking a banana peel up your ass gets you high. Yeah, I love and that. So, that's so funny. So the FBI. The entire FBI is trying, trying this out. out. Right. To see <laughs> right. So we're garnishing this drink with a banana peel. Okay. Excellent. Okay. So. It's part of Chapter 10, so it's yes. legit. All I hope all those people in L.A. Street. in their cars have peote-infused mm. tequila, because I mean, yeah. how else are you supposed to get through that trip? These are organic mm. maple bitters. But taste it. It's really very nice. This is so good. I might need to have this every morning. <laughs> I think Satan would approve. I, <laughs> I don't doubt it. Never mind what paper Never mind what date There have never been Any good old days Only days Tomorrow, we've squandered our. 
chapter 11 we have a drink called orange alert in reaction to one of uh, george bush's state of the union addresses uh, orange alert was his own assessment of the panic the country should be in it's total glass of orange juice one shot vodka one shot absinthe all right let's all right. do it we'll give it a stir with that palm tree yep. and, and then bob's your uncle and bob's your uncle why don't we taste the orange alert? <laughs> <laughs> you can really taste the alert. Political. 
And for me, the thing that I was just so enamored by was his like one-page homage to librarians and about how they're the real heroes of democracy and they will hide books and protect patrons. And like most book people, libraries have like always held a very special place in my heart because that's the one place you can always go and have resources and books. <laughs> and books are there for free, <laughs> which is so nice. <laughs> I mentioned uh, during my performance that I had recently come in contact with people who kind of said they never really liked poetry or didn't really get it. And then, uh-huh. yeah, I decided to do a dance where I discovered and defended this book of poems that I had made and then handed it off to people. How did you choose the music for the dance piece? For mm-hmm. me, for some reason, I was like, I want it to be piano music. And then the pianist that I used the music from actually did a video on a glacier where he was playing a piano and as he was playing, like part of the glacier falls off and it's just this really sad commentary on art and climate change. That's really interesting. I saw that too. That yeah. kind of relates to the tone to of, the the, book, of the book. Kind yeah. of like a little bit doomsy, but also like, hey, if we get our shit together, we could change a lot of things. How else did you feel the choice of poems related to the book? The focus unintentionally became connection and community. It's just like you're connected to it all. You're here on your path, but you're not alone. Basically things that really comfort me. Things about loneliness, but like never actually being alone. I like that. And I like that we do that in book club because sometimes... You know, often writing is such a solitary thing and making something can be such a solitary thing, but then we get to come together and share it with each other and share what we made. I think this show especially was like a case in point of how many things that people pull out that are really similar and how many things people pull out that you kind of glossed over. It was really nice. And people really responded to your work in that show. You know, it's it's visual. Um but it's, you know, it's a person in the space with you expressing something with their whole body. It's, it's mm-hmm. such a different thing from someone singing a song, you know. They're on stage in their, like, assigned space, and they pretty much stay there, and they do kind of approved of things. And that's what they do, yeah. and then they throw out, you know, whatever they have into the room. But then when you get on stage, it's just, you're not just throwing out a, a sound, you know, two people. You're throwing yourself out. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like your whole yeah. physical. And people are, are not sure what to expect. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's and on it their really toes. affects people. The other question I have for you is, would you start a chapter in New Hampshire? Uh, yeah. Yay. Bushwick Book Club is going Ivy League. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm thanks for attention. talking with this one. Yeah, thanks for talking with me and including me in this wonderful podcast idea you have. I know. And then you'll be including us in your podcast. Oh, my God. It's, like, be, it's, like, it's like a mirror looking at a mirror. looking. At, oh, my gosh. Wow, I'm making myself dizzy. This is great. <laughs> More <laughs> coffee. Is, wait, I, think, I think it's almost noon. I think we can almost switch over to liquor. Okay, so this is the last chapter of the book. You recall (laughs) how he talked about how he lived on Cape Cod and he had a Saab dealership. He thinks that's why he never won the Nobel Prize because his Saab dealership failed and and the Swedes Swedes. held it against him. (laughs) 
<laughs> so that's why he never got a Nobel Prize. It might be right, because certainly he deserves one. I'm sure you know the Cape Cod is a classic drink. It is cranberry and vodka. But the only twist we have is to make it Swedish. One part Swedish vodka, absolute, to two parts cranberry juice. But we're also upping the Swede element by adding one part Akavit and a dollop of lingonberry preserves. Because when you go to awesome. Ikea, you have to get lingonberry preserves. I'm so glad that Sweden has a Busher Book Club. It makes Sweden cooler than almost any place else. Yeah, totes. Five stars. chapter of the book but we did a bonus extra yay in the afterward uh <laughs> he talks about his uh art venture and the logo for his art venture is the goodbye blue monday bomb considering the bushwick book club was born at goodbye blue monday in brooklyn uh in bushwick 
it seemed like a good time to make an honorary Goodbye Blue Monday cocktail for the Bushwick Book Club, for Goodbye Blue Monday, and for A Man Without a Country. Right. Obviously this has to be a bomb shot because Goodbye Blue Monday logo is a bomb. We've decided to get something a little blue and throw a bomb into it and see what happens. Without One pint of uh, vodka soda lime. And uh, we tinge it with blue curacao to give it the blues. Uh, then we dump in the, uh, oh, the fireball. fireball. That's yes, the bomb because that's... it's supposed to be evocative of, of the uh, firebombing of Dresden and, and how the, the right. theory is here that a military campaign can, can end sadness. Now we're going to attempt to bomb this sadness away with, uh, yes. with an incendiary. This is fireball whiskey. Whoa. Does it chase the blues away? No, <laughs> it just it just separates your life into blues and not blues. Yeah. So this this is the answer to the question, and the other question is how does it taste? It tastes exactly like you think. It's wonderful. Thank you for listening to the very first Bushwick Book Club podcast. Find out more about us at bushwickbookclub.com and hear MP3s on our Bandcamp. We're on the YouTubes and Facebook, too. Check out our other chapters in Seattle, L.A., New Orleans, Portland, and Malmo, Sweden. We are going to have more podcasts because do you know how many books are out there? That's a lot of literature-inspired amazing times in our future, which is great planning on our part. Cutting up time like salami. But instead of making sandwiches, the slices run like mercury. We have to go finding them again. There's some good news, some bad. It's hard to tell which one we've had. The aliens are going home now because of global warming. Is about to hit the air conditioner. Which means if God were here, Because I hate to be alone. Come on up. Come on, you play tuna.
because I want to, you know, I want to, I want to.